Welcome to the Georgetown Literary Festival, Microcosmos. I am your moderator, Shazmin Shamsuddin, and today we are looking at ways of seeing storytelling through documentary. And joining me in this conversation is Sanas Fatuhi and Indrani Kopal, two very um, important storytellers of our times. Sanas Fatuhi is a writer, filmmaker, and academic who lives in Melbourne, Australia. The thesis of her PhD at the University of New South Wales was published as The Literature of the Iranian Diaspora, Meaning and Identity Since the Islamic Revolution. Now, as a creative writer, Sanas has been published in anthologies and journals across Australia and Asia. She is also the co-producer of two documentary films, Hidden Generation, a short documentary examining the reasons for the increase of women's self-burning as a form of suicide in Afghanistan, and Love, Marriage in Kabul, a multi-award feature documentary following a young couple as they try to get married against all odds. Indrani Kopal is an award-winning filmmaker and the founder and director of Far East Documentary Center in Malaysia. She's a former video journalist at MalaysiaKini.com and a senior lecturer in film at Taylor's University Malaysia. Her short documentary, The Game Changer, was screened at 17 international film festivals and won multiple awards notably the best student documentary at the prestigious American Pavilion's Emerging Filmmaker Showcase at the, at the Cannes Film Festival in 2015. Incarcerated Rhythm is a feature directorial debut. The film premiered in New York in 2018, where Indrani picked up the Mira Nair Award for Rising Female Filmmaker at the Harlem International Film Festival. Now, Indrani has recently made Sydney, Australia her home. I find that very interesting that both of you are now based in Australia. <laughs> now, ladies, welcome to the Georgetown Literary Festival. Of course, we are talking today about ways of seeing storytelling through documentary. Now, as storytellers, as writers, as directors, as uh, creators, why is storytelling important? Let's start with Sanaz. Uh, well, first um, of all, thank you for um, this amazing panel and being part of this. And I really wish that we could have done this in person, but this is the, the way of uh, the, the times that we're in. Um, storytelling for me is, um, is an extremely important means of communication because I feel and that it is through stories that we can understand other human beings and their experiences and, and, and engage with, with people's deeply, deeply personal experiences. Um, because what happens in the world that we live in, we have our own experiences and we have people from other different cultures. And sometimes we focus on the difference and we don't see each other's humanity because we go, oh, that person, for example, in Afghanistan has this way of life. So there's very little points of identification. However, what happens when you hear a story which is universal, for example, a love story, which is based in our in, in the case of you know our film and the book that I wrote about um, afterwards, um, that love story in Afghanistan is a universal story. So when you hear that story, you recognize that it doesn't matter where in the world you are, people have shared similarities of being human and what happens is that psychologically when you identify with somebody and their experience and there's no difference between me and you right? there's no us and them and that way we get closer to each other as as 
you know, as a collective human experience. And I think storytelling, especially nowadays, more than ever, is so important in closing the gaps, closing the um, closing the differences, and bringing people together. So, in my perspective, um, storytelling is is essential to our lifeline as a human collective. All right. Indrani, what about you? Why is storytelling important to you? Uh, thank you. I think after hearing Tishana's, I have to agree with them 100%. Um, for me, it's a process of being part of the community, I think. Um, I started the journey as a video journalist, um, reporting stories of others for other people, and eventually it became my own journey discovering who I am, who, uh, who belongs to my own community, and it was my way of getting to know my own people, you know, and our country, our people, and I think stories is what our lives are made of and how I remember people, and um, I guess it just makes us a little alone in a way. Um, it's also allowed people to, when you sit down with people and ask them, what's your story? Uh, tell us about you. I like that feeling they have of being seen, of being heard, and know that they are not in that life alone, that suddenly it becomes everyone's journey together. And I often tell this to my students, you know, storytelling, it's powerful because it allows us to pay attention to very tiny details of life that gets um, forgotten when it's just, you know, goes in and goes out. But the fact of recording it and having it documented and having it seen and observed and uh, heard, I think um, suddenly a very minute, mundane slice of life becomes so important. It's like almost like painters painting because they want to capture that moment. I think us storytellers capture all these stories because end of the day, this becomes then our, I guess our story in a way. Indeed. And it allows me to connect to people. I think I don't have anything more profound than that. Well, you just <laughs> answered my second question. I was going to ask, why <laughs> is documentary filmmaking your choice of storytelling? And I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Sanaz, um, did you, um, I know that, um, Sorry, one second, one second. <laughs> I know that Love, Marriage in Kabul was, um, is, is also uh, a memoir. And I, I was just wondering, which came first, the documentary or the book? Well, the, the documentary came first, but the book was being written in the process as well because I started writing about Afghanistan from the very first trip we took in 2006, which is when we made Hidden Generation, which was about women's cells burning. Um, so as soon as I came back from Afghanistan, I was like, I need to write about this experience. And so I had something written, and then, but I didn't have a book. It wasn't a book. It was just you know, a bunch of stuff that was written. Um, and so when we made um, uh, Love, Marriage, and Couple eventually, then that added a whole different category to my life. That added a whole different dimension. Um, and that's what I, you know, that's when I really pulled everything together and wrote the book. Um, and uh, your question is why documentary is important 
in this relationship because what happened for me was that when we made the films, there was so much that was untold and couldn't be put onto screen that uh, that just was going to go, you know, hidden, never be seen, never be heard. Um, not only my own personal experiences as a woman, as a young woman, I was really young. I was in my 20s when I first went into Afghanistan. Uh, not only that, uh, but also the experiences and the stories of the women and the children and those people who I'd met, but whose voices and whose narratives and whose um, images didn't get to be in the film because film is more limited, as you know, than than a, than a book, you know, sometimes, right? So, so yeah, that's the that's the story of how these two kind of went hand in hand. Okay. Now, when you are deciding um, on the kind of film that you're going to make, how do you decide the story that you're going to tell? Sanaz? Well, for me, this process of filmmaking, it was kind of, back then it was by proxy. Because, you know, I, um, my ex-partner, I mean, Palangi, he's, he was the director of the film. And so... For us to make this documentary, these two documentaries, we just went topic-based. So because my dad used to work in Afghanistan at that time. And so we went to Afghanistan to visit him. And uh, when we did, we're like, oh, my God, there's so many stories here that can be told, right? And where do we even begin? So we were inundated with ideas of topics to make films in. And um, documentaries seemed just a natural way to go because, you know, doing a feature is, it just felt like that it needed a lot more preparation. It needed a lot more, you need a cast, you need like, you know, a dedicated team to go with you. But documentary at that moment felt like the right method because all we had to do was just me and him go and we take our gear and then, and then just pick a topic and then see where it took us. And that's we, like totally guerrilla style. That's how we made the two films. It was like, okay, the first one was rough idea was women self-burning as a form of suicide. We went in, just the two of us, took our cameras and we had very little idea initially when we landed of how things were gonna shape. We just kind of went wherever we were geared to go. Um, same with the second documentary, you know, um, Love, Marriage in Kabul. We went again, just the two of us with our gear um, and we landed and we are like, all right, let's see what happens. Let's follow this couple as they try to get married. Um, and, and in all honesty, if we were going to write it as a story, we couldn't have written it better. Like the, the, the timing and the ups and downs of the stories and the narrative, it just played out so naturally and so well that some people who watch it, they think it's actually scripted. Like, no, 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 that's just the way it, it just panned out. Um, so, yeah, so we just, at that time, we just chose the method. And we were like, well, let's experiment. Let's see where this thing takes us. So that's how the process that we did that. So. Right. Now, you know, you come across a lot of interesting stories, a lot of new ideas, or maybe not some new ideas, just interesting ideas you perhaps, you know, hadn't given too much thought about, and new material. How do you determine, though, if a story is worth telling? Indrani. Um, I guess that depends on um, how you end up with the story. I think every filmmaker, um, especially independent documentary filmmakers specifically, um, 
it is the story that the uh, unless it's commissioned we're talking about non-commercial work that we are passionate about to do it takes for me at least a minimum five years investment you know shamin for a really good feature this is one land law really good feature documentary for us to complete from end to end from idea to screen it's a five year commitment of a filmmaker that's what i learned you know unless you work for a station or a cable where you're given a commission work like i used to work in malaysia you know we used to churn out documentaries or news features i, I used to call them documentaries unless I, until i went to new york and study documentary then i realized oh my god i've been doing news i've been doing news reporting i've been doing new speeches which i thought was documentary until i actually had a formal um, training in documentary and i realized the best kind of storytellers don't really come from storytelling background like the those uh, the one that study uh, television production or uh, film studies actually you are a best storyteller when you come from sociology background when you come from anthropology background you come from architecture background because the way you dissect community and your surrounding is very different the way you observe and you want to take up a story and I want to see through it's a major commitment so almost a life committing in a relationship you know? <laughs> for me every story is a relationship you know so it's a big commitment so for us to make such a commitment the story has to have a pull kind of have to have pull you in in it so you come across so many stories um when it's commissioned you do it you get it done parcel it give it to your um whoever commissioning it your client but then when you're really embarking on your own journey um i almost felt like my four years four and a half years journey in the us the entire fulbright scholarship going to mfa and going to new york was the combination of that whole journey was incarcerated with them you know i got the scholarship in 2012 but then i finished the film and really finished in 2018 that length of time that you spend doing so many other things leading up to this project that was the purpose and it was the time and i know i was meant to tell the story i was a complete outsider telling a story of six men um formerly incarcerated men learning dance in prison i mean what on earth was i thinking and what really connects me there was the dance teacher who has every similarities to my own dance teacher here in malaysia so so foreign yet so close to home so some stories just pull you in you know or the characters pull you in hence over the time when you find yourself collecting all this data you're going in that's the difference for me between fiction and non fiction you go in with absolutely no answers because you're seeking answers i have a problem with filmmakers who come in with all the answers ready and then they're going to tell the story because they want to educate the public when my students say those lines to me i go like oh no please don't do that you know we we I, then what there's nothing left for us to discover there's no surprises there's no learning there's no discovery so stories are a huge a big teacher i was teaching roman so many times when you start learning them and you discover yourself you discover your world you discovering that your world is expanding through the story you are a very different person at the time you finish the story to me <laughs> i don't know how else to explain it but that's how big uh, so that's how you make sense of footage you collect end of the day it's not about you the learning is done you've learned everything but audience comes then after then what you want to tell the audience then you choose less is always more and um, always leave them feeling wanting more right. i think that's my mantra uh, when you deciding 100 of footage and what really end, end up in the screen yeah indrani you wanted to add something 
I know, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, not in Chinese. Sanaz. Sanaz, yes. Well, um, I agree with um with what Indra is saying, and it it is a big commitment, uh, because it is like, it is like a relationship. You know, when you start when you start writing or when you start making a film, you gotta have you gotta have your heart in it hundred percent. Otherwise, you're gonna lose interest. It's gonna be ups and downs, and there's gonna be hate hate relationships. Sometimes you're like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. When is this gonna end? Because the process is so long, um, and especially when it comes to writing, because I've been working on a few longer pieces, you know. So and the writing of the memoir took me so long, and it was just like, oh my god, like when is this gonna be out there? You know, it was like being pregnant for a really, 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 really long time, and you're like, get this baby out of me, <laughs> you know. So um, yeah, so it's a, it's um, it is absolutely a learning process. And it is the same thing in the writing because you know in writing is more of a film uh, speaking about film, but in in the terms of writing a novel, which is what I'm doing at the moment as well, is that if you go in knowing what your story is going to be, well, how it's going to end, it's not that exciting. But it's through the process of discovery that you discover, oh my god, this character can do this, and then so you're inventing, and then um, not only are you inventing these characters but you're also re-educating yourself and reinventing yourself every time you're writing so it's a very exciting process right so would it be fair to assume that a lot of your discoveries is when you're doing the editing the editing process itself Indrana? absolutely oh sorry i jumped in yeah for me absolutely yeah um, um, for me, I'm an, I was an editor first before it, I actually was comfortable with the title like filmmaker or director or producer. I was an editor first, editing what drew me to this world. Um, I, and, I, and I go all the way back to early 2000 when I first learned the software and I realized you can really put together a story. It began from there and then um, I realized when you edit, when you're on the locations filming, you're really mentally editing in your, in your mind. You are telling a story already in your mind. Allows me to be very thoughtful and uh, very mindful about, about filming, about asking questions. And um, it's just different process when you're ready to first and then um, you're going into crafting the story. Because to me, story, you go in with all the questions to the field, you come back, you edit. And I often find myself filming and editing almost parallelly, always go back, always go back, always go back, because story is really forming for me in editing. That's why I, I have a hard time giving my footage to another editor. And they say, if you're telling a story, don't edit. But I think that's for fiction. I don't know for documentary. Yes, there were times I'm too close to the story. And I do need, that's why we have a story consultancies. We have workshops and we have um, consultants coming on board and advising us. But I, I, there's a sensibility in editing that to me makes a difference in storytelling. That space, that breather, uh, that pause, that quietness. Some people can't handle quietness, but to me, not saying anything on screen is the most powerful moment. <laughs> so those are decisions editors um, who have certain sensibility make than editors who just want to inform and tell the story, cut the story, and there's a certain detachment to some. So I've always edited um, my films and I give the online to the editors after. Right. I don't know if it's good and bad for that, yeah. <laughs> right. So Naz, what about you? Do you discover a new perspective or um, 
perhaps a new story during the editing process? Absolutely, every time. Um, in film and also in, in writing, because I've been doing more writing recently, yeah. So uh, when I did my memoir, uh, and you got to have a little bit of a detachment as well, because, you know, you, you're doing something for so long and you're like, this is, yeah. this is okay. And then you send it off to your publisher. Uh, in my case, I sent it off to my publisher and then they're like, we'll come back with edits. And then so he sent me the edits and then I opened it and I was like, oh my God, like this is not my work anymore. You guys have massacred it. And like, what is going on? You know? And I couldn't look at it for like a week and a half. I was like, I am, I am so upset. I cannot even look at this. And then eventually I was like, all right, let me, let me just peek to see what, what's been suggested. And none of this is like <laughs> final yeah. but I took it as if it was like final and it, as if it was done to my work. So, you know, because I was so attached to it. And what I did was when I started reading their comments and when I started looking at the way it's being edited and put pieces moved here and there, I was like, wow, this really works. Um, this is like another way of seeing as, you know, as the title of this panel is that I was so blind to this because I was so close to the work and it was like, I almost needed a bit of distance and somebody to come in and kind of put the shades in and move things around a little bit to give it a little bit more, um, tonality and more engagement and more tenacity. So, you know, it, it just, it was really a magical process. And then I can say that. After that edit, which was a really like major edit, then I went and did my own edits, and it was like, oh yeah, I really love this piece now after it's been edited and re-edited. Um, and it was an absolutely different piece, the book, uh, the memoir, when I started it to when I finished it. It's like unrecognizably very, very, very different. So it is an absolute discovery process. And, and a discovery in myself again, as, as I was like, wow, look how attached I was to something, thinking how amazing it is in my head, you know? And then when they cut it up, it's like, oh my God, like it's not my work anymore. And then I go, well, what does it mean for it to be not my work? It is still my words, but it's just been kind of shifted around. So there's a lot of internal processes for me when I'm, when I'm creating something. It's not about the work. Uh, as much as it is, it's not, you know, it's just like I am also being created and recreated and created and recreated every time I, I produce something. It's interesting what you said about becoming too involved in the story, wanting to kind of tell it from your perspective. But in, in the case of storytelling via documentary, where what you're filming and what you're trying to show um, you know, transpires and happens. Um, it's it's nonfiction stuff. It's happening right before your eyes, and you're you're just there to film it. And the editing process is very interesting as well. Um, how much of your own perspective colors in how you then take that story forward, Indrani? Um, I guess I can give an example that happened to me in the process of finishing and trying myself to, um, uh, I guess, trying to challenge myself with a new perspective, right? So I are, um, I, in Casa Rhythm, I, I had a cut and I gave it to another editors who are Americans and who are, were my colleague who wanted to take the story and reshape it to meet the American audience. 
So they took, I gave them entire hard drive just to see me because I was too close to it. I mean, Shana's, yeah. it's a very different experience, but um, if something happened in that experience that I learned about myself, I suppose, it's like Shana's there. Um, very different though. So I gave the hard drive and after about, uh, about I don't know, um, about three months, they came back and played back uh, the sequence. I was crying. And I was crying and I realized it's a great editing, great story, but it wasn't my story. It wasn't Indrani, the outsider, a Malaysian Indian girl coming to America, trying to tell the story from completely an outside perspective. Um, because I wasn't interested in the crime. I wasn't interested in prison anymore because men are trying to put prison behind. They're trying to put all their crimes behind. It's looking forward. It's reintegration to society. It's um, it's the trying to find their new home. So I was really, really interested at the time beyond the bars. But then I think for them, you can't tell the story moving forward without going back to the past. But from coming from where I was with my gaze, from my, with everything that I've learned putting into this, my gaze, my, my view or my way of saying was completely fresh, different. And if I had felt anything different, like, okay, maybe this is a new perspective and I embraced it, would I have been good? I tried to sit down late for a week. It didn't, it just didn't feel right at the core. And I had to, and it was going to be cut for a major cable TV. It was a lot of people going to come on board. The film going to go places. But then the point of view, the perspective, the way the framing happened, very masculine, very different, very not me. You know, then I, I, it wasn't my story. You can take the same story, give it to 10 different storytellers, you will have 10 different stories. We have to just acknowledge that. But I wanted this to be, a story from where I'm I'm coming from, the rehabilitation through arts. I just want to stay very core to that. So I literally have to sit and really tell this to the editor who edit, re-edited and said, I'm really sorry. This is a great piece of editing, beautiful storytelling, just not my story. Right. And I don't know what to do, I said. And they were really sad. And then, but then they were very gracious to actually acknowledge that. Okay, we, we get it. That was, to me, always a reminder that um, we all have our voice. Once you find your voice and your gaze, sometimes think through to it, I think, what really takes us to work. Because you can go around and go off tangent, and then you always find yourself coming back to what you really thought originally sometimes. Because, you know, you started right, but you started doubting yourself along the way. I doubted myself along the way. I think that's why I gave the hard drive away. But when it came back to me, I realized, you know what? I, it's going to be great by just not me. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to, how, what that means, but that left a very profound experience in me uh, trying to craft a story and how much of it is you, how much of it you give away and how much are you, can you bend and um, where, uh, finding the voice. I think that was the lesson I learned. Mm. You really have to find your voice in there and make sure it's in there. Right. Yeah. yeah. What are your I thoughts on that, Sanas? <laughs> You can't hear me, can you? I put myself on mute because I've got our children in the background. Um, what are my thoughts on the concept of editing? Um, um, yeah, I think it's also being aware, like being myself 
is and my perspective is one thing and also being aware of your audience is also something different because in the process of going back to the filming in the process of editing um love marriage in kabul we did two or three different versions of the film uh i mean we did two or three different versions with an editor and we were i don't know if you have seen the film or not but it's um it's got Virginia Hausiger, who is an Australian journalist in the film. And then there was one version we took her out. You know, we were like, well, what's her role? So we had to take her out. And then our audience, and we did an audience test, and our audience were like, mm, okay, but what? they were kind of lost because it was like as if Virginia was an anchor point. And then she, would, she was kind of guiding the Western audience through this process. Um, which we it made sense to us, you know, the 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 filmmaker and the people who were from that culture. But then because Virginia was an outsider and her presence in the film made such a big difference, then we decided, oh uh, well, maybe for our audience, for our audience's sake, we should actually be keeping uh, a version where Virginia is actually present in the film because she creates that anchor. And it was a really hard decision because, you know, uh, it's. It again comes to what do you, you want as the filmmaker and the storyteller, and what does your audience want? So it's a, what does your audience see? What do you want them to see? Or is the film being comprehended by them? Because there may be missing links, right? And then the thing that you may not want to put in, but you put in, it may make them understand things a little bit better. So, so very d- difficult decision, um, mm-hmm. where do you draw the line? But I think that's also a, a learning process. Yes, I mean, speaking of the audience, I mean, when you are considering potential um, mass interest, or do you consider mass interest, or do you want to just get a story out there, a really compelling story out there, um, do does that take it, I mean, is that um, something that you have to consider when you start a project? How compelling that story would be for, I guess, the average person? Sanas? Um, for me, not really, not really, um, because a lot of times the stories that that come through me, um, they, it's like something within me that needs to to come through, you know. Uh, and yeah, audience is very important, but I don't have a, I don't have interest in mass audiences. Everybody reading my story because I know that's not a possibility, and I wouldn't even want that. Um, as long as, as the thing that comes through me moves and touches and inspires even a handful of people, I think my work as the creator, my work as the, 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 the person who channels this information has been done. So, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not too caught up in, in that. Yeah. What about you, Indrani? <laughs> Mass appeal. What are your thoughts on that? I, okay. Um... I think to illustrate that, I have to give you an example, uh, Shazmin. If you go back to the scenario where the other editors who took over the project, who edited it, their reasons were, you have to meet the mass audience of America to sell the story, or else it's not going to sell. I mean, incarceration is a big topic. It's a very controversial topic. Uh, victims are always the first um, um, thoughts. You know, They're always the first consideration before we think about the offenders. So... You either provide the audience what you think would sell easily, or you can challenge your audience to open up themselves for a different view. So I think when I said I wanted to tell from my point of view, my point of view was going to challenge that notion. 
that um, uh, there's one line Susan in the film where she'll say, um, um, they are victims, they are future victims, she would say. These are future victims, guys who are gonna come out from being spending 30 years in the prison, gonna come out and gonna find it hard to build a family, gonna find hard to find an employment, to get anything steady, to buy a house, to open a bank account. You always have to pick that box if you've been an offender before. You know, they are future victims of the system. So she turned the question about system around and not many audience who really call system would like that. So if I had catered the film for mass audience, I would have gone with the other editing. I would have gone with the other storytelling. But because um, audience was important, but I also believed my audience are smart, they're intelligent. They like to be challenged. They like to be offered something different that they're not familiar with. And it takes another gaze. It takes another storyteller who comes outside of the whole system or, or environment to see from that point of view and allow them to see from our outsider's point of view. So I think that's a risk I took with the film and it was a major success and I didn't think it would be because every time we screen the film in the festival, when Susan is there during Q&A, people, artists, filmmakers, dancers, curators say, can I volunteer in the prison? They were suddenly interested in the, volunteer, uh, uh, the volunteerism program in the prison. So is there any prison program we can be part of? Yeah. Every time someone asks that, come out, and I think the film has done the work. Yeah, that it intended to do. I think yeah. one of the things about documentaries is that it provides access into things that the average person would not even see or be able to, you know, observe or think about. You know, you really explore a topic or a story in in ways that you normally wouldn't, you know, have access to. So, for you, what is the purpose? <laughs> of a documentary? Is it, I don't know, enlightenment? Is it social change, public awareness? Sanas? Um, it's a combination of things. And I think it's also, uh, for me, it's a privilege to create uh, and represent a nonfiction piece of either film or writing because the privilege is this yeah because i have a certain perspective and i have i can see things in a certain perspective and and my audience may not never know that you know people who who out you know i'm interacting with they may never know that and they may go about their life going oh yeah well that's the way it is over there in afghanistan in iran in wherever you were from and this is the way we're here you guys live like that we live like that right so the opportunity for me and the privilege for me is that but a documentary specifically gives me gives me the ability to really um, go in raw and live to create that right because fiction can be constructed. We can create all all sorts of scenarios mm -hmm. on screen and also on screen and also on uh, through fiction, right? Um, uh, but th that opportunity, the rawness, I think, is something that documentary and memoir can can give access to, which is more more touching and more authentic in my perspective. Um, it could be, it's not necessarily, it could be for some audiences, it could be more touching or more authentic um, than, you know, your average piece of fiction or your your, your film. Um, because I think there's also yeah, the unexpectedness of life, you know, because if a film that has been written or scripted or a book that's been written and scripted, there's not, the, the process of discovery is much less I feel because it's been scripted you know whereas in a documentary 
you have the opportunity to kind of unravel with the filmmakers of what's going on. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I feel. What about you, Indrani? <laughs> um, how do I say this? Um, why documentary versus fiction, right? I suppose. What are we? Um, what are we placing this? What are we comparing this against? I suppose. Um, to me, just it first goes back to the process, and then it goes back to discovery. Then there's one more thing I realized over time: documentary can be told via audio, can be written down through memoir, can be documentary takes a many form. But for me, taking on the visual form was very important because sometimes I'm lost for words. You know, I can't find the right words to express, but sometimes visual speaks so uh, intimately, you know, uh, for me. So extreme close-ups as someone's wrinkles and their silence and their breathing, those are very um, powerful expressions um, that you can't put into words. So um, I can't direct that. I can't curate that. I don't know if I can get people to act something I when it's it's it is so beautiful and so intimately profound when you're able to just witness it and you're recording it and you capture it and there you go, you have a moment. So like that, I think um in my journey of uh telling stories in Malaysia Kimi, I without me knowing, I've actually told so many uh, stories because it was hit and run, right? We go every day, we turn out two stories, three stories a month. So I have 55, I have so many stories, but I can tell you about 55 stories of Malaysian Indian story in Malaysia, uh, marginalized Indian story in Malaysia that we collected from my states. They are today, to me, a very important piece of evidence of the existence because all those estates that has been demolished, all those places that have been evicted, all those people that moved. I have a story of a family whose father, mother, and the son all passed away right now. I only evidence I have is a, it's a story that I did in this, in Bukit Jalil. That's it. When I started uh, the story, uh, the land eviction story, all of them were around. And then that's it, all three of them gone. There's nothing else passed on. And if you want to know who Tyagarajan and Sadasivam who arrived from India in 1930s, I only have this one video in Malaysia I need to show you as an evidence. It's a national history. If you really, really look at it, just pointing a camera and filming a moment that is never going to repeat ever again, it is very historical, one thing. Mm -hmm. But I think this other thing happens for me in documentary channels is the power of camera what it elicits, what it catalyzes, it, it engages you as a character, if a character driven story. For me, it brings out something that they won't tell me if they're sitting next to me and telling me a story. The moment I put a camera there, of course, everything is just to change, but there's something else happening in that space. When I sit there with a camera and ask them, tell me about you, the act of knowing that they're being filmed, the act of knowing that um, the fact that they are being uh, recorded and it's going to be a permanent uh, record. People say things that you can never elicit otherwise. I noticed that, you know, and it takes time. So for me to get to that place with them, it takes for me to get access. It, get, it takes for me to build trust and, or, and repeated visits. And that alone makes documentary very complex. It's so beautiful and so um, engaging. In itself, the process. So every time I finish a film, you know, I'm actually sad because I'm no longer in that process. We have a beautiful film all done, ready to go. 
but I will miss the process. I will miss all the things that you do to get there. And um, it's it's what keeping me going back to this genre over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I answered that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I would. I, you would convince me that actually shooting um, film a story in the documentary form is actually harder than shooting a feature film. I mean, do you agree with that, Sanaz? Um, I agree in some parts because I think uh, it, there's a lot of lot more unpredictabilities and in, in shooting a documentary than, than shooting uh, something that you've scripted, right? So you have to kind of go... You have to be flexible. I think that's what makes it a little bit more harder. You have to be flexible to to your audience and you have to be more in tune to your audience than when you're making a feature film where the characters are doing whatever it is they're doing. So that to me makes it more complex, makes it more unpre- unpredictable, as I said, you know. So it's it's yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts, Indrani, do, do you think that the documentary film form is harder to, harder to shoot than a feature film? <laughs> I, you know, if you ask a fiction filmmaker, they actually will say um, documentary is harder. But if you ask a documentary filmmakers, I think fiction film is harder. How do you, how do you make people cry? Here, they just have to tell their story, and if they're genuine, they're going to cry. I'm not going to make that actor do that. That's harder to do fiction, mm-hmm. I think. Um, to elicit what you want here, you just have to. Um, here is full of surprises. I think that's the word that Shana said. It's just full of discovery, and you're always in for magical moments that just comes your way. And because you know that's what the process is, you're you're open and very attentive for those moments. In in fiction, you're going in knowing completely in control knowing exactly how it's going to be and what it should be and you 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 take you know you draw that out of your actors um i think that's harder <laughs> i don't know if i can make anybody act <laughs> and i've never attempted a fiction before so i think fiction filmmaking is harder that way right. here i have to just be myself and ask them the right question and make them feel comfortable and i know it will be natural okay no matter what comes our way it is the story and your story okay what are what are some of the challenges in telling a story in this form? I and mean, you mentioned all of that, Indrani, but I'm sure there are other challenges as well. Ah, oh, there's always challenges. I think Shana's can go first. Sanats? Challenges in making a documentary. Uh, well, things could go not the way you want them. Like when we were making Love, Marriage in Kabul, until the like three days before a wedding we're like oh, is this gonna happen like are they actually like we we had no control and then we were willing to walk away without actually having a wedding at the end of like a month and a half a month of shooting we were like oh well this may actually not happen we may actually go back to australia with nothing and we have to kind of figure out what, what to do with all this footage you know um so so and especially i think in shooting in in countries or in places where it's there's a lot more unpredictability like afghanistan is very unpredictable as you can imagine than than shooting somewhere where at least there's more stability so yeah so that's 
certainly one of the biggest challenges. Uh, for us, it was one of the biggest challenges, the unpredictability of the environment, the unpredictability of the outcome of, uh, of what, what these people are going to do, because you also don't want to, you don't want to influence them either, because that's ethically not correct. You know, you're making a film, but, you know, you don't want to force an outcome because it's their life. You know, so you don't want to make them do something that they wouldn't do in real in, in their own life, right? So there's also the all the ethical and moral issues that may also come in in documentary, uh, which which I found yeah really challenging to navigate at times. Did you have anything to add to that, Indrani? No, I echo Shannon's on that. Um, if anything at all, I think um, let's just probably focus on. Uh, challenges in storytelling in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so organic. So when it's organic um, and you're dealing with real people who have emotions, who sometimes um, like seeing themselves on screen, they don't, at that time they probably like it. And then um, when you're in a project for a long time, so many things will happen to them. They'll come back to you and say, I want out. I don't want this anymore. I quit. And here you have committed the time, the money, the effort to put in, and you have devoted in their life and uh, documenting their life, and and they want to quit. And you either, what do you do? Ethically for me, it's their story. I'm a messenger, and I'm there to take it to my audience. So I have to constantly remind my, know my place and know that first thing I do not want to do is exploit people who are sharing and opening their lives to me. Two, I want to really treat them with a lot of dignity. Framing somebody with a lot of dignity and respect takes very mindfulness as a storyteller. Um, we have to be right you know, in our mind, uh, the way we're seeing somebody, because they're going to open a lot of skeletons to you. You have to reserve all judgment. You have to reserve any thoughts, anything that you have. So deep inside, you really have to have the right bone, I suppose, um, that no matter who they are, we treat them and their story with a lot of respect. Very different than when you're doing an investigative or expo, uh, uh, expository story. Very different. Um, but for me, when some when I'm doing life uh, video biography of somebody, like my teacher, I know my, I've known my teacher all my life. I've, I've always learned dancing with her. But when I when it came down to to do her story, her uh, biography, her documentary, I struggled because she was she was my teacher. When she's a teacher, you, you don't see the other side of them and you want to protect them. But then there are sides of them that you have to reveal in a storytelling to make them human, you know? So those are my challenges, you know, what to, what goes in, what doesn't go in, how much you protect, how much you don't. Um, yeah, it always comes down to that, like Shana says, the ethical questions, the moral questions. Um, what is your intention there? You know, what is the intention there? You know, right. what good it comes in framing somebody who just trusted you with their life story and just make them look really, really horrible on screen. I don't get anything out of that. So at some point, if it doesn't work, I walk away, regardless how much of commitment I make. If it's not the story I'm going to tell, nothing good comes out of it, you walk away. So those are tough mm-hmm. calls you have to make as a storyteller. It is yeah. indeed. Now, you know, the pandemic has given us a lot of time to sit at home and watch films, documentaries, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure you've had moments in the last two years where you could devote to that, uh, you know, being on the other side of the screen. What are some of your favorites, your personal favorite documentaries and why? We'll start with Indrani. 
Can I be really honest? <laughs> yes, go for it. Of course. <laughs> Actually, the last two years, first of all, I've been teaching, right? So, and I see my students' films come out of it. And then, you know, you, you finish your class, you go back and you watch your own story. First thing, as a documentary filmmaker, I won't be lying. Documentary, it's not the first thing I open on Netflix. It's not. I really probably end up watching Peaky Blinders <laughs> or end up watching any other story. But very specific stories draw me to them. Um, um, I wanted to know more about the sexual assault of the gymnastics, uh, of the gymnasts, uh, how they were abused by their doctors or their medical, um, um, uh, their medical personnel. I wanted to get down to that story. So it's a choice that I make consciously to watch a story. Um, so document is a very uh, different animal, uh, Shazmin, uh, for me. Um, you have to seek. At that point in time, what do you want to expose yourself to? What do you want to seek? What are you seeking? What answers are you looking? You look for it. But are you watching documentary to be entertained? Are you watching documentary to take a day off after a long day? Do you go back and watch documentaries for information? No. It has a very specific role. So as a filmmaker, one thing I do notice is when we tell stories, some stories are meant for television. Some stories are meant for our mobile phones. Some stories are influenced by theater screen. So a lot of conversation now goes on to attention span. Okay, we have to talk, we have mobile phone. Now we scroll down, we don't have, we don't, no, we no longer have time for picture length films, right? So, but then is that really true? We are the same people who watch mobile phone, the 90, 30 seconds, 15 seconds videos. And then we make a commitment to watch longer piece on television. We make the same commitment to go to film festivals to watch. For me, the, one of the best experience of watching documentaries is when I'm part of a festival because I'm not just watching it. I'm actually more interested in what goes on in the process. So participating in various virtual film festivals was place that I went to watch a documentary because after the screening, I get to talk. I get to hear the filmmaker. I get to talk to people like you who moderate a session. I want to know what goes behind because story is one thing, process is another. So process and, is ha go process and story goes hand in hand with me. So that's what draw me to um, documentaries. Huh? So like that, I enjoyed watching all the films from Film Film Festival from our country. Brave stories uh, were explored. Um, it just it gives me different pockets of lives in Malaysia that your own country you don't know, but unless it comes from the storyteller who lives that life, you know. Right. And um, yeah. Okay. What about you, Sanaz? Do you have a personal favorite documentary in the last I don't know two years since we've been kind of stuck at home in the well, pandemic? Well, in the last two years since we've been stuck in the pandemic, I actually haven't been watching many things because uh, I've got a very live entertainment at home, a two-year-old. <laughs> so so I actually don't have, I haven't had time or the energy to watch um, at the end of the day. I'm like, I'm, I'm reading or I'm going to sleep. Um, so whenever I get the opportunity. Uh, so, but if going back a little bit further in my history of pre-baby life, um, one of my favorites, I could say, is is really inspiring and really amazing was the documentary Born into Brothel. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's about these um, these kids who are born into a brothel, and then this woman um, goes and kind of follows the, the kids the kids stories who are born into brothels. So really inspiring, really touching. Um, so yeah, that, and then another one, which is 
even older is man on wire is one of my it's so inspiring and it's just so thick the human spirit and yeah so so those would be two of my kind of older favorites um but i need to kind of catch up on my film viewing or my reading once once the kid is a little bit older you know <laughs> If I go back beyond two years, um, mm. at Taylor's, I've been teaching for three years, something and a half years. There's only two documentary films I actually screen for my students on levels, Born into Brothels and War Dance. These two films were both Oscar nominated and the, the effect they leave my students at the very beginning of their, especially when before they start the semester, it's really um, grounding films in the both of them. Great storytelling. And there's so many, have you seen Shana's um, War Dance? Um, it's a, about a, a primary school in Patonga, in Kampala, um, uh, Patonga Primary School, going for a dance competition. Both Born into Brothels and War Dance share a storytelling that became my foundation for incarcerated believe it or not. So if you notice the way they told Born into Brothel was there was a layer, there was a spine in the background, and then there's an interview. There was a very complex storytelling I was introduced to. And funny, Born into Brothel was done in 2007. And when you watch War Dance, about the primary school kids who were all um, um, kids in the camp huh, who lost their parents to the, um, the war soldiers, uh, to the rebels. And the same way they're going for the competition and in, in between interview, both were Oscar nominated. One, one, one was nominated, but very parallel storytelling. And it was really heavily influenced me as a student when I, uh, when I watched it during my MFA. And they both really informed IR, believe it or not, in Casa Rhythm. I learned layering uh, st mm -hmm. storytelling with this too. And I always show my students because it changes them. Instantly, you will see a change of heart. Suddenly, this big gratification for life. Okay, I won't complain about my life anymore in Malaysia. <laughs> we are very grateful. It really grounds them and great film to introduce to anybody who are new to documentary. Yeah, and I funny that she mentioned that. It's like, of course, <laughs> it's a beautiful film. Yeah. Well, what's well, what stories are you both hoping to tell in the near future? Let's start with you. Sanas. Well, at the moment, I am uh, working on, as I said, fiction, novel. So I've got, I'm working on uh, two different ones. Um, one is more, you know, uh, on the more finished side. Uh, and so that one's about the Iranian migratory experience. Uh, yeah, uh, from, from the 1970s to, to now. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I'm hoping to tell the different perspectives of the Iranian migratory experience. It's going to be told from different perspectives. Um, yeah, to, to shed light on different aspects of the migration story. And, and you, Indrani, what are we to expect from you in the near future? <laughs> Story-wise, probably be smiling here. Um, I have an old project that I need to finish from 2011. Um, it's about our photography in Penang, and it's a film that I'm trying to get to Georgetown uh, Festival uh, for a couple of years now, but didn't want to settle for online screening. 
So hopefully I'll finish that, um, but it's going to take a lot more effort. It's, it's a film that waiting for me to grow up to tell the story. It's a beautiful story of, our, of course, our photographer, Smile Ashe. And uh, I have another story in the making, but I can't really say much. It's a very personal story. Um, it's going to take another relationship, a commitment of five years to finish, obviously, I think. Um, yeah, uh, I um, can't say much about that at the moment, but I don't know what else will come along the way and um, find you. You know, stories sometimes find you and, and tell, okay, you're the right person to tell me now. <laughs> I think um, some stories will just pick mm -hmm. you instead of you picking me. Yeah. Yeah, that happens in life, doesn't it? Well, thank you so much, uh, the both of you, for joining us today to talk about different ways of seeing and, you know, storytelling through documentary films. And uh, I wish you all the very best. And thank you for joining us on this GTLF 2021 oh, Thank you, podcast. And, uh, thank you, you? It was really nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. There are many other conversations to listen to on GTLF 2021. Thank you.